presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Adam again. This is uh, we're going to have the sixth version of this uh, series I'm doing here. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today, and we are so excited to once again get into your Word. And we thank you for giving the Word to us that we have it written down and that we can study it. Father, we ask for your continued uh, understanding of the Word, and we thank you for what's going to be coming today in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So, uh, you know, we've been following along and reviewing Jesus's last journey from the Lake of Galilee to Jerusalem, the the last few recordings, the last five recordings. And I'm going to do two more, this one today and then the one following. Um, And that so that'll be seven total messages in this series. Um, And there have been numerous themes Jesus has been teaching through uh, parables as well as you know, real life lessons on this, you know, very famous last journey of his before his crucifixion. Now, one of the points I find very important during this journey is, the, is you know, and I've emphasized this, is the audience Jesus is speaking to has adjusted frequently. It seems to be, it's either the Pharisees, the Sadducees, right? Uh, it's maybe the disciples or it's the great crowds of people or it's combinations of those that, Jesus, you, you find when you study this, is speaking to as we, the reader, you know, I've made this, I think it's very important. We need to be aware to gain a proper perspective. And I've, I've mentioned this the past few recordings, and I'll say it again, that it's very important to pay attention to, to that, like who Jesus is speaking to, so we can gain, the reader, a, you know, a proper gleaning of the teachings. Now, Last recording, we reviewed Luke 15, which contains that very well-known parable of the prodigal son. So I want to just, you know, a quick review from last week, and then I'm going to give us a little prelude to what's coming up today. So remember that, you know, during that uh, from last time in Luke 15, that Jesus addressed the Pharisees' criticism of him, him hanging around the sinners. uh, And so Jesus gives these Pharisees, three parables about lost things. There was the lost sheep, the lost coin, and finally the lost son. Now, what happens after that last parable about the lost son is that Jesus then turns privately to the disciples with the parable of the unjust manager. That's beginning Luke 16, which all of a sudden gets interrupted by the Pharisees mocking him, which which is a trait of theirs. They were doing that to him all the time. So then Jesus, you know, once again, after they mock him, he condemns the parables with a, uh, I'm sorry, he condemns the Pharisees with a parable about the rich man and Lazarus, and then teaches them about that. Then finally, Jesus turns back to the disciples in what's Luke 17 to finish what he had been saying in Luke 16 prior to those Pharisees interrupting him. So today I'm going to pick this up in Luke 16, as we need to hear this very important teaching from Jesus, and then we're going to like kind of jump ahead at Luke 17. So as I begin this today, please note that Jesus is giving us words of encouragement towards faithfulness. 
I've titled this one today, Faithfulness, because of this right here, what we're going to read. And this, you know, this encouragement from Jesus towards faithfulness contained in this parable of the unjust manager, as he's going to teach us how none of us, not a single person can serve two masters. Okay, so let's get into this. Luke 16, starting with verse 10. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Those are the two masters, God and money. Wow, this today is going to be very applicable to what's going on right now in the world. (laughs) It always has been, but man, is it highlighted. So what this is doing, I think, in my opinion, specifically what Jesus is doing is hitting the nail right on the head regarding our integrity and our character, our morals and our ethics, all of those, right? In other words, what he's saying is we are to be honest in everything, even the smallest of matters, which it seems we tend to rationalize away because they're small issues. We, we too often fail to process the eternal consequences of these earthly events that we have, especially the small earthly events. The immediate takeaway from this is what we should, is let's not get lazy and compromise or get in the habit of rationalizing, you know, lying, cheating, and stealing on your thinking about small matters. Folks, <laughs> see, what Jesus is getting at is the way we conduct ourselves in the little matters will reveal itself in the big matters. Now, I didn't go over this entire parable of the unjust manager, or maybe it says in your Bible, the unjust steward. But again, the overarching takeaway, the overarching point is Jesus is saying this to direct the disciples to prepare themselves for the soon coming economic stress and homelessness. Hello. You hearing things that are going on in our world that are pointing to this? I think we need to pay attention to this really well. I want to encourage you today, if you got to stop this or dig into these scriptures that I'm going to get into today to understand the thread, you need to, and it's going to be for your benefit now. We really need to hear this now. Okay? So, see, just prior to this, Jesus had informed right, the disciples, that they should find it beneficial to have many friends among the sinners and amongst the living like pagan peoples. Oh, oh, hello. You hearing this? And here Jesus repeats this central idea, which is faithfulness in the, in the face of the coming economic losses. <sighs> I don't know about you, but I'm really, I'm really encouraged by this so that I'm prepared. See, one of the realities of our maturing as a Christian, right, in our true following of Jesus is where do we stand with regard to our financial situations? Because the reality is that many people claim to be faithful believers until the kingdom duties impact their bank accounts. 
So we have Jesus very near the end of his three and a half years of ministering to these people in the flesh, right? Emmanuel, God amongst us, right? And there's many recordings, many examples of Jesus covering this very same issue, getting to the very heart of humanity's motives when it comes to money. Many parables are shared by Jesus when it comes to money, and many of us get very irritated, very nervous, and very uncomfortable when this issue comes up. So here we are, once again, Jesus is reminding the disciples of the impending judgment and the need to cut their losses and get out quickly when the time is near. And that economic sacrifice was an issue of ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. In other words, could the disciples truly seek first the kingdom of God, right? The disciples must learn that the very distinction of being a follower of Jesus would be that no matter the cost, they served only the true master. That applies today as well. It's never changed, right? We're not gonna give in to our love for social status or wealth as the Pharisees did that we read about so often in the Bible, as well as what we see in our own culture, Day after week, after month, after year, people in prominent positions of all the culture seem to be compromising so that they can be liked and they can be wealthy. And they'll go against what the word of God says and say, it's okay. And it's during this discourse when Jesus had just said to the disciples, right, this thing, that the Pharisees interrupt Jesus and then Jesus gives the Pharisees the rich man and Lazarus parable. Now, I get it. I'm, I'm kind of skipping over uh, or skimmed over a lot of this, what, I'm, what Luke 16 contains. I kind of just summarized it. I gave you a little discourse about it. But well, I'm jumping ahead now. We're going to find ourselves in Luke 17 where we're going to find now Jesus speaking directly to the disciples again after shaming the Pharisees with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And we're soon going to see that Jesus continues on this theme of his teaching of, on the costs of discipleship and faithfulness, and he's going to go even deeper into what had just happened. See, the whole scene had just been spurred by criticism from the Pharisees about, he gives the parable, well, after the criticism is when Jesus gives the rich man and Lazarus parable. And, and you know, Jesus is doing everything he can to uh, inoculate his disciples against the powerful social influence of the synagogue ruling sect. It's the same thing that applies today. Many a church leader, many of these very well off very affluent Christians, Christian leaders. They really have a big impact on a lot of the Western Christians. And I'm warning us, like Jesus is, I'm just repeating what this shepherd says as an under shepherd, I'm saying, I'm doing everything I can to inoculate us against the powerful social impact of the church ruling group. And folks, it's impossible to understand the depths of that influence <laughs> by the ruling Pharisees, right? Much like today, it's almost impossible to alter the effects of our culture about true Christian, what true Christianity entails. Now, don't forget that the disciples had just witnessed Jesus dealing with the scorn and the mocking by the most powerful leaders 
in Israel. It, it permeated through the land of Israel. He was constantly being mocked by the ruling leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers. So here's the big question back then that Jesus is just curious about those disciples. He said, would the disciples be prepared to, be prepared to stand up against those type of demonic spirits, spirits after Jesus is gone and ascended to the Father? Same applies today. Same thing applies today. So here's what Jesus does. He, he, he shares the following to the disciples, beginning with Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. All right. So in the very first verse here in Luke 17, it's very important that we understand the correct meaning and translation that has gone on there. In the King James Version translation in verse one, it uses the word offenses to mean temptation to sin. In the New American Standard, for instance, that translation uses stumbling blocks to mean temptations to sin. I here use the New International Version, which says, causes people to stumble, which means that that's the phrase that's using temptation to sin. The Greek word for offenses or stumbling blocks or stumble is the word skandalon. It's where we get our English word scandal. And it in its mean in its meaning it is to trap or it's a snare or right for someone to fall into or on occasion for falling or stumbling. So the very same concept in the Old Testament multiple times in the Hebrew. Right? For instance, in Leviticus 19:14, the, the Bible says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Or in Isaiah. Verse 8, I mean, chapter 8, verses 13 and 15. Scripture says, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. So here we find Jesus back in this time, like in, in a few weeks, in a week or so, Jesus is going to go directly to that very same passage we just read with all the people, including the chief priests and the lawyers, as he's in the temple courts, the week of the, the Passion Week. He shares a parable about when he's there ahead, right, a week or so ahead here. He's going to share a parable about the vineyard owner who leaves his vineyard in the care of some farmers who end up killing the owner's son. That's Luke. That's in Luke chapter 20, which in that parable, Jesus is pointing out, that is pointing to Israel, which would which soon do to the son of God and the consequence, right? They're going to kill the son of God and the consequences are going to be to lose the kingdom. And after Jesus shares this parable to the people, right? The, right, the people respond this when, when Jesus says this, God forbid such a thing. No way we would do that to Jesus. 
<laughs> right? Then Jesus responds and says, look directly at them and cites Isaiah 8, that passage we just read. In fact, Isaiah's prophecy had been there all along since the day of Jesus's circumcision on the eighth day of his life after he'd been born, right? That was recorded in Luke chapter 2. Verses 29 through 34, where you have this old man, Simeon, who is inspired by the Holy Spirit. He takes Jesus in his arms and he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and says to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Right? Then years later, a couple decades later in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he confirms everything we have just been saying in this entire context and all these verses the last few minutes in this discourse I'm talking about. Look at Romans chapter nine, verses 30 through 33. Scripture says here, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay a Zion, in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Wow. I mean, if you need to pause here, please do. Go look at all those scriptures and see the thread tied, that thread that theme that is tied in the old and the new. Remember, the old is the new contained and the new is the old explained. Well, that discourse right there, the last three to four minutes of me talking, tying in those, that's all what Jesus is saying in those parables and is spoken about in the Old Testament, prophesied, and there it is living with Jesus in the New Testament recorded in Luke, and then there again uh, recorded in Romans 20 years after Jesus is resurrected. I hope you see what's being said, right? And what's really being said here is the sinners, tax collectors, and, and good golly, even the Gentiles receive the kingdom while the Jews will lose it. And Jesus is reiterating here that the decisive issues of why is of faith and faithfulness, which is fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. This theme of Jesus as a stumbling block, right? The Greek word scandalon, especially to the Jewish people, appears in other places in the writings that Paul gave us in 1 Corinthians and Galatians, for instance. It's also in the other, other places in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even the disciples originally stumbled at the offense of the cross, just as Jesus predicted they would in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. But nevertheless, right? In the, if you read the Last Supper dialogue recorded in John chapter 14 through 17, those three chapters of John, Jesus also prepared the disciples with the in-depth teaching about the coming Holy Spirit, their relationship to the true vine, and the new commandment to love one another despite the persecution they're soon going to be enduring. And then he just tells it plainly in John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, 
All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue, right? In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Now, this term falling away here in that John uh, 16 verses 1 and 2 literally means that you will not be caused to stumble. It's the exact same in the Greek. It's the Greek word scandalon in this right there in John 16, 1 and 2. Or the time in the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? When Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, he says, and this is Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who are lawbreakers. The Greek word scandalon here is offend or all things that make a stumbling block. And this would be the great upcoming judgment of Jerusalem. When all those who had stumbled at the stumbling block of the Messiah would be destroyed. Man, I mean, folks, it's clear that the idea of stumbling played a significant role in Jesus's message. Like, so we need to pay attention to that. Stumbling blocks would be inevitable due to the polarizing nature of the coming judgment and the transfer of the kingdom. I don't think this is complicated. I think it's very simple. You would either be with Jesus or you'd be against Jesus. So to stand with him was necessary, but it would come, to stand with Jesus would come at a tremendous short-term cost. And the pressures to give in, the stumbling, the sinning, would be numerous and powerful. This is why I, I think Jesus reiterated the situation within the context of the parable of the unjust manager, which focused on the coming monetary sacrifices and faithfulness to the true master. I think the disciples clearly understood this message and that great costs is going to be demanded to follow Jesus. I hope we see just how critical it is to understand that very first verse there in Luke 17, right? I mean, that's really what I, what's being spent the time on here. So after the disciples heard that, they responded to Jesus with this, increase our faith, <laughs> Luke chapter 17, verse five. <clears throat> now, if we read these verses by themselves, this response by the disciples does not have the same impact, but it makes perfect sense in light of the larger context that we've been talking about. Because these folks, these disciples, they're still hanging on Jesus's words from, from before the interruption of the Pharisees in Luke 16. And they, I think, are understanding that the stumbling blocks that would be laid before them are gonna be tremendous and numerous. So they're like, their response is, we need more faith. But let's make sure, again, Let's pause here and make sure that we understand what faith is and what faith is not, okay? So first off, faith is not something we put on like a jacket to show off our, for somebody else. But what faith is, is total dependency on God. Faith is obedience, which then reassures them of a, the, the power of just a tiny little bit of faith, right? Remember Luke chapter 17, verse six, then Jesus says to them, he responds to them when they said, we need more faith. Jesus said, if you have faith 
as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Okay, so don't miss the point. The point Jesus is making is even a tiny bit of faith can accomplish seemingly impossible feats, right? The the image here is an interesting in its allusions to the idea of something that seems to be permanently fixed, right? Like a mulberry tree can be moved. Or when he did this before with a mountain, you can move a mountain, right? Into the sea. You can move this mulberry tree into the sea. And I want to encourage us never to read too much into the details of a parable, but this speculation I find interesting. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, which the Jewish people, the Pharisees, right, thought was fixed forever in Jerusalem, was about to be plucked by the root and transplanted in the sea. Because see, the sea is a classic reference to all peoples and tongues of the Gentile nations and is referenced so that way in multiple scriptures, folks. Where, for instance, we are told in the book of Revelation that the great whore sits upon such waters. That's Revelation 17, verse 15, right? That she, that the great whore had committed fornication with all these nations, right? Revelation 18, verse three. And indeed was the sorceress who had deceived them all, right? That's Revelation 18, verse 23. But what are we reading on in Revelation? Jesus would smite them with the rod of an iron, Revelation 19, verse 15, right? Jesus would bind the serpent that these nations could be deceived no more. That's Revelation 20, verse three. And that the undeceived people, the undeceived group, in other words, the saved group would walk in the light of the new Jerusalem. That's Revelation 21, verses 24 through 26. So it is indeed true that the kingdom was about to be transplanted and would be removed from Jerusalem and given to the very remnant of Israel and to the Gentiles. In other words, this redeemed multitude makes up the sea of glass before God's throne, which is referenced in the book of Revelation. But let me just share, here here now is a kicker. Here's the kicker about faith. Faith in itself must always bear fruit in obedience and courage. Faith faith must always manifest as faithfulness. In other words, if there is no corresponding action, there never was faith. You want to know something? Faith will appear as obedience and as humility. And Jesus presses this point upon the disciples as he continues here in their, to answer their response of we need more faith. Let's pick this back up in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. When Jesus says this, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I'll eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Huh. Mm -hmm. Hello. 
In other words, Jesus expects his disciples to remain faithful through all the tribulations and stumbling blocks they would face. And once they merge out the other side of those blessings, they must take care never to fall into the greatest religious trap of all, the Phariseeism of self-assurance that says we now deserve status, wealth, and blessings, rest, etc. Jesus is telling the disciples here, stop thinking that way. No, you must remain in servant mode. You must remain serving the true master. And even when they can look back upon some of their greatest accomplishments of any in their generation, they must remain humble. In other words, Jesus is saying, once again, we all deserve nothing. We are forgiven sinners. We are forgiven debtors. And we owe it all to the grace of God. And we have only done that which we were indebted to do. Wow. Wow. The last words of this scene tie the context directly back again to the parable of the unjust manager. Doing one's duty really means we are responding to the debts we owe. We are taking up our cross daily. And it's clear that Jesus is still speaking of faithfulness as he was when he finished that parable and that the disciples must learn to see their true indebtedness to their true master, which is not money, but it's God. I'm going to wrap it up like this. There are people who believe that because they try to follow the Sermon on the Mount and are good neighbors and and try to love people, that someday God is going to pat them on the back and say, what a fine person you are. You have earned your way to heaven. Some people believe that you keep the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, which you cannot. Okay, you just can't. And they'll say, well, we're doing only what we're supposed to do. And that they think they're going to receive salvation because of that. I hope we realize that those things are what we're supposed to do as one of the creatures and creations of the Most High God. We need to recognize salvation as a gift and something that we cannot work for. Keeping the law of God is a duty. Right? Jesus said, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, right? We just ended it. You are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In other words, whatever we do for Christ is no more than what is our duty to do. We are duty bound to serve him by, by that first and great commandment of loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Our works are not grounds for any reward in this life, folks. In this life, we receive grace and goodness and forgiveness from God. Amen. Until next time, God bless you. Bye. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, Go to our website at www.candissmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel.